Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Bucketless Gamers podcast. I am, as usual, Eddie, and I am joined once again by my co-host, Jay. Hello. And today we are looking at two games that fall under the really bland action-adventure genre, being Tomb Raider from 1996, which is number 38 in the list, and Uncharted 2 from 2009, which is number 77. Thankfully, it's fallen in the right sort of order, both chronologically and in, in the list. So we will start with Tomb Raider, and uh, for me... I don't really remember it that much because I didn't play it when it came out. I, I, I think I completed it about 10 years after it was released because I it wasn't a sort of the sort of game I'd have got on with at the age of 10, 11. I'm not sure about you. Yeah, I I had it on a demo disc. So I'd, I'd got a PC that was relatively capable of playing games, not fantastic, but it could handle some, especially demos. Uh, and I distinctly remember it was off the front of a PC buyer magazine, which if you don't live in, in England, you might not remember this one, but it was like a list of parts for PCs and then some full PCs, being like an exchange and mark, but instead of cars, it was for computers. But inexplicably, and it was it was really thick, it was like a yellow pages size of magazine. And inexplicably, every month or a week or whatever it was that it came out, it had a really good demo disc on the front of it. <laughs> and it wasn't the kind of magazine that should have a demo disc or need one because it wasn't like a review magazine or a features magazine or something about PC gaming. It was literally a book that you bought to buy and sell PC components. But for some reason, they kept getting really good demo discs from what I remember. I've got a stack of them at home still. And Tomb Raider was on one of those and I installed it. And it was for me, it was one of those, oh, my God, moments when I first booted it up because it just looked like nothing else that I'd seen before. And the demo was, I'm pretty sure it was one level, maybe not even the first level, but you walk into a tomb, obviously, and there's a huge pool of water at the bottom of it and like a little bit at the side that you could climb up, but the controls were horrific, especially as I was using a keyboard, I think, rather than a, a controller. So getting Lara Croft to walk to where I needed her to then jump and climb up and not immediately fall off into the pool of water was a chore, especially because it was, as we've just said, it was tank controls practically, wasn't it? You turn, then you walk forward, then you turn, then you walk forward, then you very rigidly jump up in the air unless you, you're pressing it very specific. There was like a timing thing, wasn't it? You had to press forward and jump in a certain timing Otherwise, she just went like a pencil up in the air and then back down, which was useless. So there was all that going against me. And the fact I was, like you say, what, 9, 10 when, when this came out. I must have spent hours playing it, though, just because of how good it looked. And the, the falling in the water as many times as it happened wasn't a bad thing because the water looked fantastic for back then. And you could you controlled better in water than on land, from what I remember. So I didn't mind falling in the water so much, but I don't think I ever got out of that room when I was playing it as a kid. So I never saw any enemies. I, I shot the guns about, but there's nothing to really shoot them at. And yeah, that that's my enduring memory of Tomb Raider. I think I probably got it for PS1 years later, but I don't remember ever finishing it. I remember a few of the enemies, uh, one in particular, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But no, it was one of those games that I was fascinated by and don't really have fond memories of at the same time, if that makes sense. Like I remember it just stunning me when I first saw it and playing it so much because it was something completely new. 
but also being massively frustrating and not really enjoying the gameplay of it or anything. Yeah, and I, d- I don't think that was exclusive to PC users because the tank controls on the PS1, it came at a time when it was just before the launch of the DualShocks, so you had no analog control sticks at all. And in something that is dubbed an action-adventure game, having tank controls in it when it's not a survival horror, so it adds to the sort of tension, it had no right having tank controls in this game because you are running, jumping across gaps, trying to solve puzzles, and you've got to do it quite quick in in some areas of the game. And the enemy, Jesus Christ, they obviously don't use tank controls for the enemies because the enemies have no right being as fast as they are, particularly as you get into the later levels and one enemy in particular. But on top of that, they also sort of combined it with auto-targeting. So because you couldn't really have a game that had sort of like Z, like the N64 Z-Trigger lock-on at that time because your two shoulder buttons were taken up by shooting, basically. Yeah, they gave you this really bizarre auto-target where as long as your reticle was sort of pointing in the vague direction, a bit like Doom, really, like it, it hit the thing that you were roughly aiming in the direction of. The unfortunate thing is that when it locked onto an enemy, you couldn't swap it. So there'd be like really big enemies that would knock your health off in a couple of hits and this little piddly enemy that would die in a couple of shots. But you'd always auto-target the thing that wasn't going to give you the trouble and that wasn't going to smack you around the room with a length of two by four. Um, So yeah, it was just a really bizarrely designed game. But my enduring memory of it is probably the same as most young lads, to be fair, which was getting Lara Croft to stand up against a wall in order to shimmy so in a sort of a position that made her push her breasts out a little bit because 10, and that was the first encounter with 3D sprites that we'd ever had, really. And let's be fair, they look like two cartoon yeah. wedges of cheese, like on Tom and Jerry. They weren't anything to uh, to write home about. No. But I remember there, there being a massive rumour about a naked cheat. I don't know if it was in one or two. It must have been in one because I recall trying to do it in the demo and it not working and thinking, oh, it's because it's the demo. They've not programmed it in. Not that it was clearly a lie that somebody had just (laughs) created to sound cool. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what I expected to see if it had have worked because the frame of that woman would not look appealing (laughs) without any clothes on. Polygonal horror. (laughs) (laughs) Two, Two like wedges of Swiss cheese with something vaguely representing a nipple slapped on the top of them. It just wouldn't have been good. But yeah, at that age, at that age, and like you say, first ever 3D sprites. I mean, if if we'd have grown up in the era when you got to 10 and you got like Mass Effect, Jesus, I don't know what what we'd have been thinking. But yeah, back then that was as good as it got. And I I don't know, I wouldn't say I dislike Tomb Raider, but I'd never say it was one of my favourite games. I just, it's not, it's not even the type of game I don't like. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that game should appeal to me because I do like other games that are similar to it. But for some reason, the early ones don't appeal to me because they don't control particularly well. The later ones don't appeal to me because she's basically just like a whimpering wreck that things happen to and she never actually and that's not who Lara Croft is. And then the ones in the middle that should appeal to me because they've got decent graphics, good controls, and a decent, strong female lead are crap. Yeah. So 
there's not really much Tomb Raider for me out there, and I think that's the reason that I've never really got into it. No, and it is sort of... They did... This was female characterization done right. She is mm. uh, an absolute badass in the, fir- in, like, the first iteration of Tomb Raider. She is an absolute badass. And to your point, we'll discuss it more when we come on to Uncharted, but you, Uncharted sort of took up the mantle where... Tomb Raider started dipping off and, and failing as a franchise. And they just thought that the way to have a sympathetic character was to kick the ever-loving shit out of him in Nathan Drake, in everything he is. And then they sort of rebooted Tomb Raider and went, well, people seem to like that. What was the thing that um, we we really got out of Uncharted in terms of sympathetic characters? And, oh, well, all those feminists are really going on about equality, so we'll just kick the out of her in every uh, video game now as well and it's just like that, that that's not what we wanted from this and i'm pretty sure that's not what the feminists wanted either i just remember playing the first one of the rebooted series and you, you start off at a plane crash or something and then she goes up a cliffside and it's like she's cowering away from everything and and even when she's got a weapon she's the same and it's like that's not the lara croft that i grew up with she would have gone in even if she only had one bullet she would run in and and take someone out while trying to fend yeah. the other ones off, not try and hide and run away and hope she doesn't get spotted. It just, it, it was almost, they're not bad games. They're just not Lara Croft, who I know. If they'd have put a new, a completely different lead character in those games, I wouldn't have an issue with them. But it, they've just changed that character too far for it to be enjoyable for me to recognize it as a Tomb Raider game. I don't know what an equivalent would be. It would be like, I don't know, taking Mario and then saying, right, you can't jump on any enemies anymore. He's not going to have any power-ups, so you can't fight about that. Basically, you've got to go from start to finish of all these levels, avoiding enemies and just jumping over them and hiding from them. Yeah, it's... um, I get that the new Tomb Raiders are supposed to be like an origin story for her. However, one, you could have done it in one game. You didn't need a trilogy out of it, really, by the end of the first game, she's learned how to... She's happy with killing people, and she does it with gusto by the end of the first game. Um, And she knows how to shoot, is an expert with a longbow by the end of it all, and is a, is becoming a bit of a badass, but then she sort of goes back to form again in the second one, and again in the third, and it's just crowbarring sequels where you can get it. it to your point, it'd be like if you played a Mario game and it was his origin story, so he was a plumber. So he just went round <laughs> doing people's plumbing in the vain hope that he'd managed to rescue Princess Peach at the end. And it, <laughs> yeah. it just wouldn't have the same level of engagement at all. And then he'd rescue her at the end of the first game and realise his true calling. And then the start of the next game, he'd be fixing someone's toilet again. And then yeah, it just goes exactly. around in the same loop. Yeah, I wouldn't mind, like you say, one game is an origin story where she hasn't built up her confidence yet and all that kind of thing works but three where you get to and and other games have done this i'm trying to think of examples but i can't at the minute and films do it all the time where you get a character progression through a game or a film and at the end of it they're a completely different person to the start and then they make a sequel and go right well we can't have a we can't have the character being what they were at the end of the first one else we've no progression so just change them back and have them go right back to what they were and then go for it again and I know they've done that in games a lot, but sometimes it's done clever, isn't it? So like in, um, what's the Metroid, for example, 
you get to the next game in the sequel and she loses all her equipment or whatever it is and that's why you have to go and collect it all again. And it's cliched, but it, it's at least explained. Whereas there's no reason for her to then go back to being this whimpering dweeb who can't shoot anyone and doesn't know how to use a weapon again that she did at the end of the first game. That doesn't make sense. No, uh, and with Metroid, it's only that she loses her equipment. She is mm. still badass Samus Aran, the bounty hunter that is really, that is prepared to, regardless of how much weaponry she's just lost, to go on a new mission and kill it. Whereas with Lara Croft, like you say, it's just, oh, back to formula again, and she's mm. back to being the little whimpering girl that doesn't like killing people. And again, it'll probably come up with the Uncharted thing, but ludonarrative dissonance between the new Lara Croft and the new Tomb Raider games, and Uncharted, where they're supposed to be this weak or sort of sympathetic character, but then are chalking up a death count, sort of enviable <laughs> of Pol Pot, by the end of like the first the first chapter. And it's like, oh, come on, you can't do that. You can't try and paint them as this sort of sympathetic character and then send them on a murder spree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be you could almost work it in, couldn't you? If if they kept killing people by accident or something. Yeah. So like they they get to a camp and they set off some sort of trap that kills everyone, or there's people on a bridge and they accident like, and then it, I know it then diverges into almost comedy, like a comedy game, because they keep killing people without actually intending to. But yeah, to have them just literally be a cold blooded killer, but then at the end of it, be like, oh no, I'm not that person, and I'm, I wouldn't say boo to a goose, and it's like, well. Tell that to all those nameless henchmen that you just mowed through back there. Yeah. But back to Tomb Raider 1. I don't have loads to say about it. Like I say, it, we've already said we've said it for a lot of games on this list, and I think that's why they're on the list. It was quite revolutionary for its its day, especially having a female character at the front of it. That was, I don't know if it was unheard of, but it was very new. I mean, you've got Samus. I'm sure there were a few other games that were female-led, but like you say, she was Take No Prisoners, the the sort of badass character that got introduced and in a new 3D setting with new beautiful, I mean, they were at the time beautiful environments to explore and, and all that, and I can see why it did well. I can I can totally understand why it took off like it did. Uh, and then two just literally built off of everything that one did right, I think, from what I remember. Yeah, and I think she she was like the archetypal strong female lead for like a good generation of kids. She was like, if you thought badass woman, you immediately went Lara Croft. But and the advantage with the original iteration of Tomb Raider was that it had tomb raiding in it. You actually got to explore <laughs> tombs, which again, it just sort of died off in the latest versions of it. And I mean, the stories aren't, they're sort of like a take on the Indiana Jones thing, aren't they? There's this mm. mystical MacGuffin thing that Lara's in search of, and it's normally quite a well-known artifact or it's a well-known city. So it's like in this one, it's Atlantis that you end up at. And there's loads of nice little nods to mythology and pop cultural mythology. So, so there's the bit about, I think it's like two thirds of the way through, where you find a statue of Midas and mm. there's a there's a hand on the floor and you are supposed to use it to solve puzzles. So you're supposed to throw objects onto it and obviously Midas touch, everything you touch becomes gold. So you, I think you need like several key items turning to gold or you've get, got like a wooden key, you throw it on it, it becomes gold and you can use it in the locks. 
However, if you stand on it as Lara in character, she becomes gold as well. So it, it gives you a, like a little game over, which is nice. It's kind of like a nice little fourth wall break, mm. really, um, which you don't tend to see that much of, really. And you sort of... Ha- it, it's intelligent in as far as you have to have a, a knowledge of a little bit of Greek mythology outside of what it tells you in game. Yeah, and I think they, they did a good job with the films. I know the films aren't masterpieces and people have their issues with them, but I think they portrayed the character fairly accurately compared to some video game films, which just, it's like the person who's making them's never seen or played the game. At least if that one, it did feel like a the same Lara Croft character that was in the films. And I know, yeah, I've, I've seen them and... I wouldn't say they were great, but they they got it accurate, I suppose. And like you say, with that being the strong female character for a generation, doing a film where she still is was quite important. And I think they nailed that, even though they probably could have done better stories or they might have been just better off copying the game in terms of a plot. Because I think they came up with original plots, didn't they? And it was a bit hit and miss. Yeah, I mean, the the ga- the video games... Um plot ain't great i mean we may as well bring it up because we're probably going to end up moving on to uncharted (laughs) by the end of the next couple of sentences but just before the halfway mark it just sort of so you've been fighting off thugs and armed mercenaries and dogs and like tigers and stuff like that somewhere just out of nowhere really it introduces velociraptors and a boss fight with a it's about 30 foot tall tyrannosaurus (laughs) out of nowhere and it's just like here you go t-rex and he's like oh um, thanks, I think. <laughs> what, what is year, this? What, what year did Turok come out? I'm just wondering which one influenced which. Oh, yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> sure, sure, would... I'm sure to, Tomb Raider was first. Yeah. Because that's a game that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, Turok, because that was a very, very weird one. 1998, Turok. So I wonder if they saw that level in Tomb Raider and went, oh, we can make a full game out of this. And and thus that was born. Yeah, and it's probably had a bit of an influence on Dino Crisis as well, because that was yeah. that was around nineteen ninety eight as well, I think. So Which is a much much better game in my opinion. But I'm sure again we may maybe we do a dinosaur special because all the Jurassic Park games bar maybe two are rubbish. Yeah. And then there's Dino Crisis one and two and Turok and then the Turok remake, which was god awful. Yeah. Was it well? I don't know if it wasn't a remake, was it? It was a reboot. What a remaster! It wasn't a remake. Yeah, reboot, and it was just terrible. But yeah, the the original Turok, I have a bit of a soft spot for because it was one of the few N sixty four games I played right when it came out, and it's not good. But it's just it's one of those that's burned into my memory with Mario sixty four. So I'm sure we can come on to them. But no, back to Tomb Raider. I don't think we've much more to say on Tomb Raider one. No. And and the rest of the series, they, they blur together for me. Like, I think before we started recording, I asked you which one it was where you could lock the butler in the fridge because I distinctly remember that bit, but I don't remember what game it's from. It must be, and it's two, I think we decided, didn't we? Well, that's one of the things I yeah. I really liked about the Tomb Raider games is the, the Croft Mansion where you could just run around a house, not really doing anything and do the obstacle courses and stuff. I really like that aspect. I probably spent more time doing that bit than I did on the actual game. Because it was just, there was nothing there, was there? But you could unlock secret passageways and, and all 
cool stuff like that and there was no point to doing it but it was just really fun to be able to explore her house and do that kind of thing yeah um, and i mean it sort of it gives you a good sort of introduction to the game and you you get to use all the necessary traversal skills and stuff like that and you learn a bit of swimming the one thing i will say in tomb the original tomb raider's favor is that a lot of the gameplay and a lot of the puzzle solving uh, in particular and the, there's some bits later on in Atlantis where you have to like raise and lower water levels to work out puzzles. It's very ocarina a time. Mm. I I genuinely think that aside from the tank controls and the shooting and stuff like that, I think level design and sort of the verticality and um, the puzzle solving solutions sort of thing, I reckon that is very heavily influential for how ocarina a time developed its temples. Yeah, the, the worst temple, by the sounds of it, the water temple. Yeah, the water temple was bad, <laughs> but... So, score-wise, it's getting difficult, this. Um, I'm not going to bring up the list, because it's a bit out of date, so there's not much point. So I think we just try and figure out what score we think is suitable for Tomb Raider, and then we'll slot it in there. So it is Tomb Raider 1, it's not the whole series. I think you've got to balance up the fact that it's not the best game in the original trilogy against how influential it was as a first game in the trilogy and something that was relatively new and and shiny and took a lot of people by surprise in in what they did with it so i mean for what you knock off for it not being the best game in the series you can sort of add back on for that i suppose and like i say it it did blow me away when i first played it even though it I didn't do very well with it. I don't know. It didn't make me put it down. I didn't stop playing it because the controls were bad or I was struggling to do it. I kept going with it, which is is obviously a sign that either that... I mean, there were other games on that um, computer by a disc that I could have installed and gone on to, but I didn't. I kept going back to that one, so it obviously had something to hook me in. So I would put it... I don't think it deserves to be any lower than a 70, certainly. No, that's fair. Um, so I don't know if we want to go higher than a 70 or leave it at 70 or... Uh, 71? 70 just seems a bit token, whereas just pop it over the final third, really. Yeah, yeah, go on then. 71 will do. Let me just make a note of that one. Fair score for Tomb Raider. We probably could say more about the Tomb Raider franchise, but I just, without going back and playing them all... Like I say, I don't know what part is from what game, so I couldn't confidently say X, Y, Z when I, it could be that it's from a completely different game, and I'm just thinking of it wrong. Yeah, the only thing I remember about the rest of the original part, of the original series, was that Angel of Darkness was was the final installment, and it was literally the nail in the coffin for the franchise at the time because it was like the most up to date graphics, and it just played like shit. It was a horrible game. It just wasn't received well at all. I've watched somebody on YouTube play it, and I think they played it for about 45 minutes and they didn't get out of the tutorial. Yeah. Because it's just so unintuitive. And like it flat out tells you to do things in the tutorial that aren't how you do them. It's like somebody who hadn't played it wrote the tutorial and went, well, I think you'd do this if you wanted to do that. <laughs> and then just guessed. <laughs> and you have to figure it out yourself. So, yeah, that, that one... I won't be spending my time playing that one, I think it's fair to say. Uh, and moving on, in that case, to a series that can unequivocally be called good in like the broadest stroke, really. 
we'll move on to Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. I mean, the first one was of its time, and it, it hasn't held up very well in terms of a PS3 title. A lot of PS3 titles are still worth playing now, in my opinion. But for, like, a flagship franchise for Sony, the first Uncharted game, not that good. Uncharted 2, however, literally took everything that its predecessor did, massively overhauled the graphics engine so it looks... I would I would say as damn near realistic as you could get at the time. It was a phenomenally well-built game and it was well-coded. And just all of it is really good. The storyline's great. The gameplay's really good. It is just a... Uh, it's like a good old Sunday afternoon action romp film, <laughs> if, if, you, if you like that sort of term. But yeah, it, it's something that if it was a film, you would happily sit down and watch on a Sunday afternoon, or it'd be on in the background, and you would know it beat for beat without having to pay a lot of attention to it, and it was just enjoyable. Yeah, I don't like the first one. I mean, if it was the first one that was in this magazine, I'd have more to say, I think, because I, I really didn't like the first one. I played it a little bit when it first came out, because I think I'd got a PS3 around the time it came out, and it might have come with it, I can't remember, but I just I played it for a bit, and... It was it was all right when you first start it, and it looks nice enough for the time, and it controls really well. I'll give it that. It controls to say it was the first in the series, and they're still working things out. And this is the thing: I I don't like the first one, but I understand why it is how it is because they were figuring a lot of stuff out. So the controls aren't terrible, but the thing for me about the first one is it just feels like a load of set pieces taped together rather than being a cohesive game. So you go to a place. You do a little cutscene. Oh no, there's some soldiers come in. About 30 soldiers come out. You gradually mow your way through them. It goes, right, that's done. Traverse a little bit of jungle. Go to an area. Oh no, soldiers are coming. Like 30 odd soldiers come out. You pick them all off. It does a little cutscene to say you've done. You go somewhere else. And it's just, it's that just over and over again in slightly different settings. And that's how I feel about the first one. And that's why I don't really enjoy it because it, it doesn't draw me in. Like the second one, like you say, the storyline is there to keep you pulled into it. But in the first one, it just, it doesn't feel like a game. It feels like lots of, you know, like when you get a mobile game and it's split up into 30 stages and you get a star rating for each one. I feel like that's what Uncharted 1 is. It's like, this is level one. Pick through 30 people, right, you've done, here's your three stars. Now move on to level two, which is practically the same, but in a different location, and, and just so on and so forth. Yeah, to be fair, you're not wrong, and Naughty Dog have openly admitted that when designing the Uncharted series in particular, they come up with the set pieces first, and then work out how to build the narrative around them, and I mean, it's quite obvious a part way through Uncharted 2. So you've got this overarching narrative about wanting to find El Dorado. I think you're, you're after you're following in the footsteps of Marco Polo. And you're trying to track down this one bloke who's obviously after the mystical MacGuffin thing, uh, who's called Lazarevich. And part way through, for no reason at all, there is a set piece involving a pirate band and you're on like floating platforms. It's like Waterworld, the film. It's all <laughs> floating platforms owned by pirates, and you end up on a, a sinking, like a massive luxury cruise liner that's sinking, and you're being chased down a corridor by this wall of water. And it's like, where the hell did this come from? 
This wasn't part of my tomb raiding narrative that I was getting involved in. This is just bizarre and absolutely bonkers and completely out of the plot. Um, but yeah, that's why. So Naughty Dog did openly say, yeah, we we come up with the uh, set pieces first, and then uh, and then we come oh, then we work out how it fits into the overarching plot afterwards. And like, oh, great! Thank you for that, Naughty Dog. A few moments later. Hello, can you still hear me? I can still hear you. Little technical glitch there. My uh, headphones died. So part part way through you speaking, it just my headphones completely cut out, and I couldn't hear anything. And now I'm, I've got them plugged in on an incredibly short cable, so I'm going to be sat close to the screen. But I did hear the majority of what you were saying about the the thing. I don't think I'm even going to cut this bit out. I'll leave it in. It's a, I'll cut. I'll cut the like. I'll cut the two minutes of silence out, and and we'll just carry on from here. It's fine. People know what they're getting oh. with this podcast by now. They don't, <laughs> It's not scripted, that's for sure. And if there, if if anyone out there is ima- is listening and wants to imagine what the current situation is like, I'm like a dog on a short leash now. I'm sort of tilted <laughs> to the side because this wire's just pulling my headset across. And I don't know why it's died because I charged it up before we started. So anyway, moving on. Yeah, it just number one feels all like like set piece after set piece, and maybe that's why. And maybe the longer the games have gone on, they've managed to string the middle bits a bit more together to make it a more cohesive i think they've done more character building in the later ones for certain haven't they because you, you do get a bit of nathan drake's character and is it sully the the guy that you yeah. work with a lot in the first one but i think in the second one and the third one's really where they get fully fleshed out and become the characters that everyone's familiar with now yeah i think i think the first one was up against a tall order to be honest with you to create this sort of trio to quartet of likable roguish characters um, that you followed with throughout the course of the first game and a, a thoroughly dislikable main villain uh, to be to be able to get all that in in a like eight to ten hour game is quite a challenge but it, it sort of sets the second one up really well because the second one just starts and it's in medias res you wake your first chapter is you wake up as Nathan Drake, you've been badly injured, you are you've lost a lot of blood, and you are hanging in a train car off the edge of a cliff. Um and you're just sort of like Right, okay. Um so I guess we're uh, we're starting out as we mean to go on then. And it does, it really does. I mean you sort of once you've completed that and you get to the top of the cliff, you do start you get a flashback and you get ten chapters of leading up to that part so when you get to like the halfway point and you do get on that train and you're like oh 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 it's coming oh something's gonna happen and you find out how you got into that situation but yeah um it's a particularly tense opening so I, i don't think there's any death state as such i don't think it's possible to get a death state unless you just completely miss time a jump and jump off the edge of the train but climbing up the rapidly decaying train and that's slowly sliding off the edge of the cliff think jurassic park lost world if you've never played it that bit with the trailer when it's hanging off the edge of the cliff think like that but you're actually controlling nathan drake as he's climbing up as bits of pipe are coming off in his hand on that though i don't know how many times nathan drake has the right to jump onto something and it break underneath his weight for (laughs) for him to not be shocked anymore he but every time you get the slight Gasp of surprise that yeah, it's only happened to you 14 times in the last hour, Nathan. Just get used to it. Whatever you are jumping on, <laughs> it's going to break, kid. I remember the train bit, the controls feeling like purposefully heavy. 
Yeah. So you're you're sort of wrestling with the controls to make him go where you want as you climb up this train, which I think was a nice touch. And it sort of sets the stage for the game because then when you actually get into the game and the controls become immediately sharper and responsive, it's a nice feeling. So even if the controls in that game aren't actually that good, which they are, even if they were rubbish, because they've precursed it with that bit where you're literally fighting with the controller to get anything to happen, it just makes the rest of them feel brilliant anyway which I think was a, a clever move if they weren't 100% confident in the controls. But yeah, it's it's one I enjoyed playing, and I did think the storyline on 2 was, was decent, especially after playing 1, because I went, like I say, I played it when it first came out, didn't get on with it, dropped it. And then when 2 came out and I got 2, I was like, well, I really should finish 1 because I know it's sort of a narrative that follows on and there'll be references to the first one. So I went back and put myself through the pain of finishing the first one. And yeah, the the jump to two immediately, if you play them one after the other, is like night and day. And there's just, yeah, more plot, better controls. It doesn't feel like you're just going somewhere for the sake of having a fight and then going somewhere else. There's bits in between. The puzzles are a little bit better, in my opinion, in two. So yeah, it's just, it's like you say, they took everything in one and just realized where they'd gone wrong with it i suppose and and tweaked it to make it a bit better yeah the, i mean the the puzzles in the first one were literally there is this thing in front of you you have a notebook you open the notebook you look at what the thing in front of you should look like you move the parts to make it look like the thing in the book and you complete the puzzle there is a bit of that in two but uh, so there's a part, I think you're in Nepal and there's a um, sort of like a cathedral that you're in um, and there's a giant statue and it's, I think it's Vishnu um, and it's got different things in its many arms and you've got to, you open the book and you can see that you need to move the arms so that they are holding like the spear and the trident in a certain yeah, way. Yeah. But then they build it into the world geometry as well. So you have to navigate around the building to work out how to get to the limb to move it into the right position so that it'll trigger it. So it's not just a very bog standard, move this in, move this in. You have the traversal thing built in as well, which I think probably helps the rest of the game break up a little bit more or flow more seamlessly, sorry, because they build the world traversal into the narrative. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you went from like gunfighting to right now you're going to do a puzzle and now you're going to go down here and you're now you're going to do a bit more traversal and now you're going to have another gunfight in the first one. This is, you're in like streets where you you can finish a gunfight and then you've got to sort of climb up the building that you're walking next to to go in at the top level to be able to navigate further on into the plot yeah, sort of yeah. thing and then carry on having gunfights as you go. It's not set piece after set piece. It's hard to explain the difference between the two without actually playing it because it does almost sound like you're describing the same thing in both games, but to actually sit and play them, you'll know what we mean. It's not... The first one, like I say, is so broken up and it just feels like individual bits that you do and you get a an end without it putting a card up to say, yeah, congratulations, cleared, which is what it feels like it should do sometimes and then you move on to the next one. Whereas, yeah, the other one is more like other games whereby it doesn't have that set formula of fight puzzle traverse fight puzzle traverse it's you might do this bit and it results in a fight and then you might do a couple of bits of traversal with some storyline thrown in and a couple of puzzles or you might have to do a puzzle in the middle of a firefight 
in a building and, and figure out which one's more important and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it just they, they definitely worked out where they went wrong with the first one and made the second one far better. And then that obviously paved the way for the third one, which was more of the second one, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that helped the second one was that it was sort of the flagship title for the PlayStation 3 Slim, which was obviously a, a souped-up version of the original PlayStation 3, so it had more operating power. It was just a better system compared to the original PS3. So, yeah, I think when they designed it specifically for launching the PS3 Slim, I think that's probably why they had that step-up in graphics for a start, but also they they put a bit more effort in to actually make the gameplay better. Um, and as you say, then we get 3, which is more of the same. And then four, which is a polished version of more of the same. Yeah. Yes, and I, I thoroughly hope they stop at four. It, it's not the, for, the ending for four is where it should end. Really, they 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 can't keep crowbarring more sequels out of it. The spin-off didn't do so well. The one with uh, Chloe. Do you know they've done a spin-off? Yeah, um, they did a spin-off, I can't remember what it's called now, involving Chloe from uh, Uncharted 2. Uh, Lost Legacy is is the one mm. from is the one that's the spin-off and it was that was a PS4 one. So just play the same as yeah. the other ones just with a different character. Yes. And then obviously there's the film which I haven't seen yet but I know everyone hates. But from what I have seen of it, it looks like it's one of those throwaway action films that isn't offensive, but isn't amazing at the same time. It's okay. It it brings a load of, again, it's a load of set pieces tied together with a really flimsy Indiana Jones-esque plot. And they've pulled a load of set pieces from the game. So there's the bit from 3 where he's hanging out the back of an aircraft on like Mm. a load of crates that are sort of still attached to the ship it's all right it's it'll not stay in my memory really it's not one of those memorable films but it it, it's good while it lasts really like pringles (laughs) so what is there anything else we can talk about uncharted wise because we've we've going short for this week this is i thought we'd have enough out of these two and even with my microphone, my headphones going in the middle, we've still not managed to get much past 40 minutes. So we should have had a backup. We've we've fell into the portal trap again here. I know. Um, I mean, we can always do the whole games that are a bit like yeah. Uncharted and Tomb Raider, because there's one series in particular that is a glaring omission from the list that we discussed about before we came on. Would you want to give Uncharted a score? We'll score Uncharted and then we'll uh, we'll move on. This is how prepared we are. We'll move on to that idea Eddie's just had uh, for, the, <laughs> for the final portion of the show. Would you say it's got to be higher than Tomb Raider? Because I know you were a bit miffed about the positions on the, the retro gamer list and thought they'd gotten the wrong way around. So I presume you'd want to score Uncharted higher. I, I think Uncharted 2 is a better game. I get that it that there's no influential <laughs> degree at all with it. It is just a solidly good game that has built off decades worth of previous experience and better hardware and stuff like that. So I, I can kind of see why it should probably be lower than Tomb Raider. It is a stunningly good game, but in terms of overall influence and things like that, I, I yeah. I'd probably say that it deserves to go less than Tomb Raider, and it kills me to say it. What about putting them on the same score? Because I think they've both got merits and and detractors, like you say. Uncharted's a better game. 
Tomb Raider did more for the the genre than Uncharted did. Tomb Raider's died a bit of a death compared to what it used to be. Uncharted seems to have reached its natural end without jumping the shark. So when you weigh them all off against each other, yeah, maybe they should both just have a 71. Yeah, that's fair. Happy with that. So, yeah, well, um, let's consider other games in the genre then that aren't in, in the book. I know you've got... I mean, there's a few in there. I don't think there's any... There's no Far Cries in the book, which is similar. Uh, there's no uh, Just Cause, which, again, I know it's got the, the more outlandish mechanics in it where you can put on, like, one of those sky suits and do all that business. But at its core, it is still a very similar... The way it controls and... And the type of game it is, and it's it's more open world, isn't it, than Tomb Raider and Uncharted are? But I definitely put them in a similar bracket, and neither of neither of those two franchises are on the list at all. Yeah, neither of them are ones I'm I'm a fan of. I don't know about you. No, not particularly. I've tried with Far Cry. I've tried a couple of times with it, and I just can't. I paid a fortune for is it Far Cry Three because I got like the gold edition, the one where if you just sit there for fifteen minutes, you complete the game. Oh, four. Yeah, is that four? So yeah, I got yeah. the gold edition of that, thinking I'll really put my all into this, and and then I think I played it for about an hour, and I just I didn't get on with it. It was okay, it, it wasn't amazing. I always said I'd go back to it, never did. It, it's a Ubisoft sandbox, isn't it? At the end of the day, that's mm. that's essentially they've just become this amorphous blob that occasionally just vomits <laughs> up a sequel every year. But while we're on the subject of Ubisoft, we might as well go with the glaringly obvious one, which is Assassin's Creed, which I am stunned they haven't put at least two into the uh, list because two was always regarded as the best entry in the franchise. And it is a really good game. See, I did similar to with Uncharted with Assassin's Creed. I never played it when it first came out. I never had it. And then at one point, I think I was unemployed and I... I'd finished Fallout 3 and I decided I needed a new game franchise to play. So I went and bought copies of Assassin's Creed 1, 2 and 3. Paid quite a bit for one of them. I think it was Assassin's Creed 1 for PS3 was stupidly expensive for some reason. And then I played Assassin's Creed 1 and I was like, this is crap. This is garbage. Like, why does everyone get so into this game? It's boring. It's like the same three things over and over again that aren't fun in the first place. And I played about three quarters of the first one and then just got bored with it, put it down and never played any of the others. And I think the only other Assassin's Creed game I've ever played is Black Flag. And I only played that for about an hour. And then I I didn't actually mind it. It was one of those where I played it for a bit and thought, oh, yeah, I'll come back and play this. And then I've literally never booted it up again because other stuff got in the way. And I think I would like for because uh, not for sorry Black Flag because the pirate element and stuff appeals to me. And I've got I actually own two more of them because every time I seem to buy a console, it comes with a bloody Assassin's Creed <laughs> game that I don't really want. So I've got the Egyptian one. Is it Origins or something? Origins. Yeah. Yeah, and then I've got another one. I think the one that came after that that are still cellophaned. I've never even opened them because I've just no interest in playing them. One ruined it for me so much. And I know one is meant to be rubbish, and that's I, I should have researched that before I did it, but it just soured me so much to it that I just never had any interest in playing the other ones. Uh, to be honest, I don't think you're missing much in terms of plot by not playing one, because the plot's just bonkers. By the end of it, by the time you've got to now, the guy who was the main character, so Desmond, for like four of the games is now dead and has had his brain taken out and is it's in a jar somewhere <laughs> and they're using his latent memories 
to run a company in the future. It's just it all horrible, horrible game uh, sort of narrative for the future side of it. And then you get the ye olde memory version of it, which is where all the fun stuff happens. And a lot of that is good. I mean, it, again, it boils down to being another Ubisoft sandbox game. And they are from, I think, around Odyssey, which was the one after Origins. They started mm. monetizing it out the ass because they started giving every enemy character a level. So obviously you had to get gear and you had to upgrade your gear or you had to do like little raids to get new gear. And it's just like, oh, for God's sake. Yeah, okay, so we're coming back around to the loot box thing again, which, great. But yeah, they're all, again, just sort of this homogenous mess that randomly wanders around the Ubisoft offices commanding people to kill <laughs> on occasion, I think. Um, but yeah, between that and <laughs> Far Cry. I think the issue with the first one for me was I didn't know anything about the franchise really other than a couple of the characters and, and the basic premise of the gameplay. So when I booted it up and I'm in like a futuristic world, have I has somebody, has somebody conned me here? Have they sent me a fake disc or like the wrong game? And then you get put to sleep, don't you? And you go into the memories of it and then the levels are memories. So again, all chunked up rather than being one flowing narrative. And I did a couple of them and I was like, this isn't fun when's the fun bit start and i was an hour and a half in by that point and it just never seemed to with the first one and i know like they say the second one and onwards changes it completely and it makes it much better but even when i played the little bit of uh, black flag it still felt very like you've got these three things to do do them and then just rinse and repeat stalk someone or go and stab someone or do a fetch quest and then just over and over and over again and yeah, it's just, it's probably not for me, that's the issue, because I know loads of people absolutely love it, so it must be doing something right for so many people to to love it, and so many sequels to come out, and all the characters be so beloved, and, and all this, it must be doing something that I just don't see, because for me, the couple that I have played, I just not got into them all. Yeah, I think the first Assassin's Creed was when I started learning to distrust gameplay videos, or gameplay trailers. <laughs> So it, the advert, so the initial trailer for Assassin's Creed 1 makes it look phenomenal. You're trying to rescue like a group of people from being hanged. You're, I think it's supposed to be Altair in the um, first trailer. You're a hooded figure on top of a building. You drop down into the courtyard. You, you slit one guy's throat and there's this massive guy with an axe that's preparing to cut the rope to hang them all. And you take them all on and it's really smooth and free-flowing and the combat's great and you can jump, roll over people's backs and jump up onto like the scenery and stuff like that. And then you play the game and it is not indicative of the gameplay at all because you run at a structure hoping that you can climb it and he sort of does his little hop in front of it because the, the hand holds too high or you're running along the top of a roof. You get to the edge of the roof and you you would assume you'd be able to make it and you jump and you just free fall, hit the floor, desynchronize, and you're like, well, aren't I the master assassin? I've just made myself look a complete <laughs> pillock there. So yeah, that was around the time that I was like, this this is awful. This is not what I bought this game for. And ever since then, I've been pretty much like, yeah, it's a lovely game play, gameplay trailer. Does, act, does any of it actually appear in the main game? Because 99% of the time, no, it doesn't. I'll tell you what game did that for me. If I can remember the name of it. Oh, God, what was it called? 
it was a oh god i'm not gonna be able to think of the name of it now it was like a i don't even know how to describe the type of game that it was so you were you were all different classes, and you sort of ran into battle, and one of you was a healer, and one of you was the tank that could take loads of damage, and one of you was a hacker, so you could hack terminals and turn guns against the enemies and stuff. And it got so hyped up, and it's, it's not my type of game at all, but I got so into the hype that I bought it. I paid like 50-odd quid for this. Like I think it might have been a Ubisoft one. Paid 50 off quid for this game at release, and it was absolute garbage. Like, one of the worst games I've played, and I just, I, I just barely even played it. And I really wish I could have took it back, but I'd already opened it and used the little codes that you got in it. And it's going to bug me to no end until I remember what that was called, because it's one word. I can remember the name of it is one word. It's a bit like Overwatch, isn't it? It's one of those class-based yeah. shooters, and it... I know which one it is, and it was garbage because I bought it. Brink. Brink, that's it, yeah. And it was terrible. It is one of the worst games I've ever played, and I got so caught up in the hype for that game. And yeah, and you got like, did you get like Doom skins with the special edition? Yep. So I applied them, and then obviously I couldn't take it back because I'd applied these skin mods. And I think, yeah, I played about three games, and I remember one of my mates coming up that night. And I was like, I've just got this new game. It's meant to be Ace. It's just installing. And we played it for about 10 minutes. And we were both like, how much did this cost? This is absolutely terrible. And I don't think they ever made it any better, did they? They never like patched it or anything. Yeah. They just went, no, this is rubbish. And that's it. Who made it? Was it Ubisoft? Um, I cannot remember, to be honest with you. But um, it was. It was, I think it was trying to take up the mantle of Valve's, you know, part of the big orange box when... I can't remember the game that oh, came I know what you're on about Half Life. Um, yeah, I know what you're. It had the same sim like art style to those characters and stuff, didn't it? Team Fortress Two. Team Fortress Two. So it was trying to take up that mantle for consoles, and failing to realise that it's it had already been ported over to consoles anyway with the rest of the big orange <laughs> box and Half Life and Portal. But yeah, it it tried to do what that did and. I think that probably was what killed the class-based shooter up until you get to, like, Titanfall. Yeah. Because it, it just sort of... They, they tried doing other versions of class-based, but I think Brink was, like, nailing the coffin of that no one should be making these anymore. Um, and then Titanfall sort of gave it a bit of a resurgence, and then stuff like Overwatch and Fortnite have really just taken up the mantle and run with it. I don't know a massive amount about Overwatch, but I think that's slightly different, isn't it? In terms, is it is Overwatch not like team battles, but you have all people with different classes? Yeah. Because Brink was more like mission based, wasn't it? So you you put a team together and went and broke into somewhere or hacked your way into something. Or I think there was one where you had to go into a shopping mall that had been took over and like clear out the bad guys and stuff. So it was more mission based than what overwatch is so even now they've not really gone back to what that game was and tried to do something similar but yeah that was that was one experience where i completely got caught up in the hype and of, of everything and and ended up buying something that i think that might be my biggest regret in gaming buying that game i don't think there's one that i can think of more that i spent more money on for less gameplay time and and it is absolute testament because i've just googled brink and it is testament to the company that made it that it's fucking Bethesda. Because of course it is. 
when they try and do really? something that's outside of their comfort zone, do they make something that is god awful? I'd have never had it down as being them. Maybe that was part of the hype for me as well at the time. Yeah. Like, well, it's Bethesda, it can't be bad. And then it just was absolutely terrible. Uh, so yeah, that's my biggest buyer's remorse in gaming. I don't and I can't think of anything worse. There's been a few that have come close over the years. Thirteen. But I think that what the new version. <sighs> yep. That's my biggest remorse. I never fell for the new version. I left that one where it was because I was—I knew the old one was good, and I've still got the old one somewhere if I really wanted to play it. And I saw the graphics on the new one, and I looked at it and thought, "What have you done with it? It looked nicer before, and you've got far more processing power to make it look better." I understand you want to mirror the style of the old one, but you haven't. You've just made it look terrible, and I think it played even worse, didn't it? Oh yeah, it was yeah. The first one was a delightful game to play. Nice, smooth controls, lovely cel-shaded graphics, and probably the origin of cel-shaded graphics, really. It was even before stuff like um, Wind Waker. But yeah, it just it played like crap, the remake, to the point where they, they are, I think they offered a full refund as long as yeah. you hadn't played more than X amount of hours of it or X, mm. X amount of percentage of the game. And I'd played like the first five or six levels thinking, I don't remember it playing this badly. And then Sony went, oh yeah, if you want a refund, you can, you can have one. I was like, well, that would have been nice to know about a week ago. Thanks for that, Sony. But hey-ho. The other one that's up there for me is the Sonic Origins collection. And I can't remember whether I've moaned to you about this while we've been recording or while we weren't recording. But given that we're still under an hour, I'm going to moan about it again now. So Sonic Origins came out about a year and a half ago, maybe a bit longer. And all the hype for it was like, it, it made me believe that it was going to be like remastered versions of all the original games. So they were going to look similar to how good Sonic Mania looked. Maybe not quite as good, but they'd be up there in that polished style. And they, they did this really confusing thing where they had to literally put a graph out to explain what you got in all the different versions because they did so many versions of it. So I went all in. I bought the full version. So I got the um, all the games, obviously. I got soundtracks, which I weren't particularly bothered about, but I suppose it's a nice to have. There was this feature where you could zoom in on like a... Because each, each game has its own island that you start the game from. And, and there's Sonic going along in a little bin, you know, from uh, uh, Sonic Spinball when he goes to the bottom. And then, like, Amy Rose is on one of the islands and Knuckles is stood somewhere and, and Eggman, Robotnik, whatever you want to call him. And you can zoom in on that if you got the premium version. But not if you got the normal version, then you can just look at it from a distance. So I got that, which I don't know how they dare sell that to people. So got all this stuff with the promise of if you've got this super deluxe or singing or dancing version, you get any future releases that we do. And they promised more characters and all this stuff. More characters was definitely written there in big letters, right? So remember that one. I bought it, booted it up. They're all just the Mega Drive versions. They look identical to the Mega Drive versions. They don't look any nicer. I could have gone out and bought a Mega Drive cartridge for cheaper than what I've paid for this collection that looks exactly the same. But I thought, ah, oh, fair enough. I can still play through them. I can still enjoy them. And we're getting more characters, blah, blah, blah. So I played through a few of them. Fast forward a year and a half later, they've done Sonic Origins Plus, which adds one more character, which is Amy Rose, to Sonic CD. So not even to all the games, I don't think. Just to one game, you can play as her in it. So that's your more characters, and you've got to pay another £10 for this. So I never got any more characters for my initial purchase. 
And now, if you buy on Origins Plus, you get this new character. You get six Game Gear games, which I, I want to get, but apparently they've ported them terribly, so I'm still not sure. But you also get all the stuff you got with the deluxe version. So I'm now paying twice for stuff that I didn't want <laughs> in the first place just to get those Game Gear games and Amy Rose, who I was promised for free when I bought it in the first place. It's an absolute shambles. And I, I can't believe they haven't comped people who bought the deluxe to get the Plus version for free. It just would have made the most sense to do because I've had nothing for my extra money now on somebody who bought the bog standard version and then paid the tenner now. So it, it just beggars belief. So yeah, that one's up there in terms of buyer's remorse because I didn't need to buy it because I had all those games already anyway. So all I've done is just buy another version of them that I can play in one place and then potentially spend another tenner to get some terrible Game Gear ports that I wouldn't mind playing. So yeah, that's it's, it's rivaling Brink. Yeah, I think Brink still wins just for how crap it was. At least you've had some enjoyment out of Sonic. <laughs> yeah, this is true. At least I've got a couple of hours out of it, whereas Brink, I think I got 10 minutes. And I, I've i still got the disc somewhere. I was hoping it would be one of those that so few people actually bought or kept that it might appreciate in value. I'm pretty sure it hasn't. I'm pretty sure it's probably worth more as a coaster than a game. <laughs> Yeah, very likely. Ah, and to say that we don't know how to end videos, we, we've ended on a bit of a downer with this one. <laughs> well, no, we haven't, you see, because we've still got to thank our lovely patrons and what could what could be more that is very like, true. boosting than that. So let's go through them. We'd love to say thank you to you all again. You really do keep it going. I've, I had this conversation with one of our patrons earlier on and just said that it, the games industry is so hard to get anything when you're as small as we are in terms of sponsorship deals or freebies or people's energy review copies or anything like that. So difficult to get that we couldn't do it without the patrons because we, we can't get sponsorships like big YouTube channels can because we're not them. And yeah, we'd love to be eventually and that's why we're looking at branching out into YouTube and all that kind of thing. But yeah, without you guys supporting us, we, we'd have to pay for all this out of our own pocket, and I don't know how long we could continue to do that with all the Pokemon cards and stuff coming out as well. So uh, we are truly thankful. Uh, I will go through them. So in the couple of coins tier, I'll give them both a shout-out this week. We've got Lee and Harry Flynn. In the Bucket Kickers tier, we've got the Sweaty Llama and Dino Dini. And in the Avatarnish tier, we've got Atropos. So thank you again to all you guys. And yeah, that's brought the mood up, I think, enough for us to say that's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.